Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw with you in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Man, who knew June 6th would be such a crazy sports news day, Dad, Sat. Well, yeah, I mean, we have a couple of days uh, between cup final games, right? There's no NBA finals game tonight. So I, I, the NHL said, hey, l- let's create some content. So we're very happy to have a trade to talk about. I am. It. It's a big trade, a three-way trade, and one uh, I, I, I dare say you wouldn't expect to be announced during the Stanley Cup mm. final, Sat? Yeah, I, I'd say so. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those trades where... You oftentimes hear people say, well, the commissioner tells the league that we don't want you to overshadow the Stanley Cup final. And if you have something big, wait for the Cup final to be over and then you can announce it. I think this kind of puts that entire narrative to rest, doesn't it? Right? Like if, it, if, if this trade can't wait, then if this trade happens now, that means no trades waiting, right? You, sh- you shouldn't be waiting to make trades. So that tells you that anybody telling you trades are not allowed during a Cup final... It's full of it. It just means the rest of the GMs are cowards. They don't want to make trades during a cup final. <laughs> they, they're all cowards. That's uh, that's that's the uh, the bottom line. The biggest takeaway out of this massive trade between the Columbus Blue Jackets, the LA Kings, and the Philadelphia Flyers. And there's look, there's a lot of different ways to to look at this trade. And certainly for a team like the Canucks you start to maybe get a sense of how much it's going to cost to move off some money here, Sat, and that's essentially what the LA Kings part of this deal is, right? They give up Cal Peterson, who's got two years remaining at $5 million per. You've got Sean Walker that they needed to move off of his contract, even though it's not all that expensive. They both go to Philadelphia, who's like, you know what? We're rebuilding, so we could take on some bad money here in order to get some future assets. But that's L.A.'s part in this deal. They don't get anything out of it other than Hayden Hodgson, who's on a one-way $800,000 deal. And, by the way, who's his agent? How did he get that? Incredible deal for Hayden Hodgson. Uh, Kevin Connaughton as well, uh, the long-traveled Kevin Connaughton going to the L.A. Kings. Former Vancouver Canuck, uh, uh, Kevin Connaughton. And my favorite part of this trade, bar none, is by the way the transaction went, Kevin Connaughton was traded for a first-round pick and a second-round pick. (laughs) It's just how these trades happen, right? But the release says Kevin Connaughton traded and gets in return a first-round pick and a second-round pick. Now, we all know the first and second wasn't meant for Kevin Connaughton, but the way the trade was structured has that as being the (laughs) one-for-one or, well, one-for-two trade. Always knew he was worth a first, you know. The Canucks missed out, man. The Canucks missed out. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets acquire Ivan Provorov at a discounted price uh, because L.A. withholds 30% of his deal. And Philadelphia gets Columbus's, well, gets a first-round pick that belonged to L.A. but was given to them by Columbus, who acquired it in the Vladislav Gavrikov trade, if you can make sense of that. A second-round pick in 24 or 25 and another second-round pick from the L.A. Kings. So there's a lot to digest here. You know, from a strictly winners and losers perspective, it, it's hard not to like it for Philadelphia. Yeah. I always, 
you can applaud creativity and Daniel mm-hmm. Briere. This is his first big move as a general manager. And he got pretty creative in order yeah. to, to move off of Provorov's contract and acquire some, some big time assets. Even if you know he acquires the assets, maybe more because of the salary they're taking on than giving up Ivan Provorov. Who's not had a good couple of years for Philly. Their direction is clear. They're taking a yep. longer-term approach, right? They, they feel like they have to really really go through um, an extended retool or a full-on rebuild. And if you're doing that, then who cares about taking out some dead money, right? Why not just do that? And I think that's essentially what it is. They're the clear winners today. Provorov wasn't long for Philly. It wasn't working in Philly. And getting rid of him and taking on some bad money and in return getting a first-round pick, uh, two second-round picks, Helge Granz and Sean Walker— you know, that, I think that's that's a pretty good return. I think today we can call them winners. They have more assets today than they had yesterday. And for a team rebuilding, clearly, even if they miss on those picks, it's still a huge win for them. Today was a huge win for the Flyers in that organization. The other two organizations, it's not clear yet. It, that's not an answer. I, I understand what the LA Kings are doing because they're making space to bring Gabrikov back. So for them, it can, it can be seen as a win. The biggest risk is being taken by the Columbus Blue Jackets. So Columbus takes on Ivan Provorov and look, Columbus, they signed Johnny Gaudreau last year. They were awful this season. I don't think they expected to be, you know, with a bullet playoff team after they acquired Johnny Gaudreau, but they expected to contend more than they did. Mm-hmm. Injuries and poor performance had other ideas, but now they go out and they get Ivan Provorov And if you go back into the annals of history and think about why Columbus might be interested in Ivan Provorov, well, Mike Babcock has long been a fan of Ivan Provorov. There was always rumors that Babcock wanted to bring Provorov to Toronto and was not able to. So I think there's maybe a connection there. This might be Mike Babcock's first thing or first influence on the Columbus Blue Jackets roster, even though he hasn't officially been announced as their new head coach. But this is a move where a team is saying we are continuing to push forward. And they're going to have, I mean, if they don't play Provorov with good Branson, I think he's got a good chance of having a uh, of having a bounce back. Yeah, I think he'll be all right. I, I think th- there is a pathway for him, especially with how the Blue Jackets want to play. And we know how defensemen look a lot better on better teams. You know, like if they play mm-hmm. at, at the type of structure they want to play. And if they're a team that takes a step forward, I think Provorov will be fine. So even if they don't want to commit to him long term, you're right. Chances are they can still do something with him as a player. But it's still a risk that they're taking on. I mean, I, I'm going to say it, it's it's so e- it's easy to say I'm, I'm shocked that Provorov got a first and a second and all that back in return. But then taking on that money is a huge part of it, right? Taking on, what, what $14 million? And cash mm-hmm. and making this trade is not insignificant. You know, like they're not actually saving cash and making this trade. They're just swapping money and then take getting assets back in return for doing so. But for the Blue Jackets, it makes sense. But is that the price you should have paid for that type of defenseman today? That's my only question. Like we talk about the timing for Vancouver on the Heronic trade. To me, the Hironic trade, he's a better player. You paid more to acquire him. But there's mm-hmm. a better pathway for righty defenseman that's more of a scarce asset. Whereas this one, you know, I'm just wondering, as much as you said all those things about Babcock, did you have to take that step today to acquire him for what you paid? They essentially paid uh, a 22nd overall pick, right? And a second round draft choice. So a little bit less than what the Canucks had to pay for Philip Hironic. 
And I guess the Canucks sort of set the market when they made the deal for Philip Hironik and going out and acquiring a big-time defenseman. I guess this really just is subjective in the sense of, do you still look at Ivan Provorov as a big-time defenseman? Well, I mean... Clearly Columbus does. They do, right? And that's why the price is what it is. And I think it also shows you the value of defensemen with pedigree in general. Mm -hmm. Like when I look at, you know what the price is to acquire a defenseman that people view as top four caliber, that's the going rate. It's a first-round pick and a second-round pick. You yeah. know, you look at the trades that have happened. Even, you know, they acquired Rasmus Ristolainen. We saw what they gave up to acquire Ristolainen. For a guy considered a top four defenseman in his 20s, that's the going rate for it, right? And f- from Vancouver's perspective, did they set the trade market this year by making that heroic trade? It was a first and a second. Yeah. Was that a continuation of what the market's been for those types of players, or did Vancouver set it for this year? And that's kind of what everybody else is going off of. Vancouver set it. Uh, it, lo- it looks pretty pretty obvious to me that, that Vancouver set the market. Now, a couple of different things here. It, you know, L.A. retains a little bit on Provorov, so he's going to be less than $5 million for two years of control. Canucks only get a year and a half, technically, or a year and a couple of months of Hironic. He didn't play very much of those couple of months. And he, does, he is I guess RFA he's still, at the end of He's the still year. RFA at the end of next year. Yeah. So they still have control beyond his current contract, whereas Provorov would be a UFA. So there is a lot of similarities here with the two players and the cost that goes into acquiring them. It's just the money has something to do with this whole transaction, the money has a lot to do with how this transaction played out and how Philly took on so much of it and played a big part in them getting extra assets in this deal. Yeah, I mean, for this trade to go down, um, it's clear Philly was trying to get a prospect back in return. They weren't able to get that, it seemed like, from Columbus, but LA wants to offload the money so it would make sense for them to get in there and do that. But the cost of moving the Cal Peterson contract, which is $11 million in cash owed to him for a player who is essentially an AHL goalie at this stage, was a second-round pick, Sean Walker, and um, Helge Granz. And you're retaining 30% of Ivan Provorov's contract. So the other thing yeah. in Columbus is they're paying the first and the second, but they're also only taking back about four and change million on Provorov's contract, right? Mm-hmm. So they're also getting a bit of a saving on his cap hit by giving up what they gave up. Um, so that is something you should give, you know, give credit to Columbus for getting in that. They gave up what they gave up, but they also were able to get some retention on pro overall salary. But the cost of doing that is what I look at. And so it becomes a separation of first and a second round draft pick. And I do think when you look at it from Colum- from the LA Kings perspective, moving $11 million in real money is going to cost you usually a first round pick and more. Yeah, I think in this situation, because Helge Granz is considered probably by Philly as a good prospect, is why it's the price is a first is him a second plus two million in salary retention. He is. Uh, I don't know if a top top prospect is the right word for Helge Granz, but he is a very highly thought of prospect, uh, and also is a right shot D. Yeah. So that's that's going to be a pretty expensive asset that you that you're giving up there to move that money. I'm a fan of Helge Grounds. I know others view him more of as a B prospect. I think he's going to be a good player. People I talk to have been big fans of his game, and he's kind of been, you know, there's been a log jam in L.A. for young defensemen, too. So yep. I think he's been kind of hidden behind a lot of guys. So I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I know others kind of fade him a bit more, so maybe that's the way they kind of, they kind of 
scoff at the at the at the return maybe not being what what people think it is but ellie's also taking a two million dollar dead cap hit on this trade mm-hmm. you know because they were it's under- not money they can move that's not money they can buy out that's not no. money like it's just it's two million dollars that they're going to have to eat against the 81 and a half 82 and a half 83 and a half whatever the salary cap is for the next two years and sean walker's a player that philly can probably flip at the deadline and get something back in return so they are giving up a fair bit i think la to move money off their books now i do think from vancouver's perspective i don't know if anything is really truly analogous from the la king's perspective because does vancouver even have a player 11 million in dead cap really because oel is 30 million that he's owed right it's it's not really comparable to cal peterson I think Connor Garland's an actually a decent player, right? Like, I don't think we view him as, as the same cap, time of cap dump Cal Peterson is, you know? He's not an AHL goalie. No. no. Connor and, Garland's still pretty good. Yeah, exactly. He's not that. Right? Yeah, he's not that, but he's, he's you know, he's he's not Cal Peterson, you know, dead weight contract-wise. And maybe he gets rebuilt and, and he's going to be a player, but right now that's kind of how he's viewed around the league. So I don't know if it's analogous, but it does show you that if you're trying to get rid of money that people don't want, it's going to cost you a fair bit. And Vancouver doesn't want to be trading uh, draft picks away and trading down, which we talked about being a scenario. But if you're not trading draft picks away, you have to be willing to trade prospects. Like, it's going to cost yep. you something. Like, when you look at a guy like Connor Garland or even whomever else the Vancouver Canucks look in the trade, if it's not a premium position player, they're going to have to give up something. And that's what we've seen so far. Like, even when they moved Jason Dickinson, they gave up a second. They got Josh Bloom back in return, but they still had to give up a second round pick to just get that, you know, $5 million in cash off their books. And if you're thinking about how the Canucks are going to move off of Garland, and we talked about this with Frank Saravalli yesterday, or not yesterday, but in, in the past in our Monday hits with him, it's going to cost you. How much it's going to cost you is still to be determined. But the Canucks are going to move that contract, and it's going to cost them, as you say, not a maybe not a, a draft pick because they're not willing to do that, not necessarily willing to do that. And then you start going through the prospect pool that the Canucks have, and it's like Nils Hoaglander, Vasily Podkolzin. Like, is that what we're talking about here to move off of a Garland type of contract? Yeah, I don't know if they would have to go put Colson or Hoaglander for Garland, mm-hmm. but I do think what we have to look at is something more creative like you saw with this three-way trade, right? Where if you're giving up Hoaglander too and you're giving up Garland, do you get another team involved? And do you get something back that actually works for you? Right. You know, like, it, does it actually work out for you? If you're doing that, do you get a, do you get a prospect back in return that maybe you like? Mm-hmm. Do you maybe get, you know, a low pick somewhere back in return? Like, do you get something out of it if you make that type of a trade? Because I'm not a big fan of just getting rid of it unless and giving up those assets, right? Yeah, because could I, you I, get could you get a Sean Walker back in return or something, like, or you know, like at least a player that you know fits into a role that you might have open on your roster or has a better fit than where Connor Garland currently is with this team. Even the Jason Dickinson contract deal at least ended up being Riley Stillman, who they moved for a prospect. Now Josh Bloom isn't this great prospect, but he's somebody at least that now could be an NHL player. He's added to your overall lower end asset capital. Can you come back with something? And I think it's important. Mm-hmm. I know it might seem like a minor thing, but I think these are types of little micro moves you make that add value to you. And then we're sitting here in a year or two saying, hey, man, the Canucks have a couple extra draft picks and prospects all of a sudden. Now maybe we can go out and they can go out and, and make another trade or perhaps go and acquire a player that makes a lot of sense. So I think if you're looking to make these types of deals, can you get something tangible back in return for yourself? For LA, the motivation for them is they're trying to win a Stanley Cup. 
they're trying to keep Gavrikov, right? So they're like, okay, yeah. we're, we're willing to give up a, you know, a second round pick. We're willing to give up a Hellgate Grons. We're willing to do these things to create that type of cap space. Can Vancouver be that aggressive and bold? Are you that close where it makes sense? Like, are you are you going to be paying a second and and Hoaglander, for instance, for you to be able to go and sign Damon Severson to a big contract? No, you can't do that. I don't think you can. Now, maybe they do. I wouldn't like it if they do that. But I think that's that's paying a lot to just strap yourself in for more commitments long term, right? It, it takes away your flexibility as well. And if you're doing all those things and you're paying extra asset value to do so. It's just a big price to pay unless you feel like you're a move away from winning the Stanley Cup. Like, L.A. feels like we bring Gavrikov back. We get a little cap space here. Like, we can maybe win the Cup next season. That's what yeah. they feel like. I don't know if Vancouver is a team that can say the same thing. You know, and, and L.A. is a good example of how quickly your cap space eats up, right? You know, they're having mm-hmm. to make this move after just a couple of years being a playoff contender, a couple of years being a team that got kicked out of the first round of the playoffs against the Edmonton Oilers. Like, hey, yeah, it's their, their timeline last year seemed sped up, but now you're already having to make these moves to offload some of your cap mistakes. You now, the Peterson contract is awful. It's about as bad as it can get from a goalie contract perspective. It was only three years. They gave him the exact same money as Thatcher Demko, and nobody in the world other than Rob Blake and I guess Cal Peterson and his agent felt that Cal Peterson was worth a Thatcher Demko yeah. level contract. Now, it's three years instead of five, but give me a break. Like, did the guy really show that much to you that he deserved that contract in that moment? It was onerous from the moment they gave it to him, and now they're having to buy it out, essentially, by moving Helge Grants. You know, for all of L.A.'s success in hoarding prospects and doing their quick rebuild, most of their success has been from players they've brought in outside of the organization, right? Mm-hmm. Or... The, the the layovers, the Yanje Kopitar and Drew Doughty still playing at their peaks or close to their peaks in order to help this team back into playoff positions. Sure, they've had Adrian Kempe come good, but Philip Deneau added a huge, huge part to that team. The Fiala move for them this year was was huge and how that helped their offense take to another level. And when he got hurt, mm-hmm. it really hurt their chances of getting any further in the playoffs. So... I look at a lot of different things with LA and I say, they're the team that comes out looking the worst in this whole transaction. And they're a sign of, yeah, you might be rebuilding and you might have a lot of assets, but you know, that cap space eats up quick and it's not always, and it's, it's easy. Like the example is Philly today, right? It's really easy to like a team that is, very clear about wanting to go into the rebuild process and starting to strip it down. It's always easier to strip it down than it is mm-hmm. to build it back up. And LA's built something nice here. They have a good projection, I guess you could say. But going from good to great is always going to be the hardest thing for an NHL team to do when they're trying to come out of these crazy rebuilds. My biggest question about LA is their ability to develop players. Because to your point, the players who made the biggest impact so far have been players they've brought in. Now, I would say that I don't think they're losers, and I don't think they come out uh, looking poorly necessarily because they're trading away prospects and assets because they had a bunch of prospects and assets. Ultimately, you have to make your team better. Like To me, it's, it's about how do you make your team better? How do you become a contender? 
we get so caught up in like, oh, you got to draft these guys. You got to make these guys into good players. Your draft picks didn't work out. At the end of the day, are you a good hockey team? Do you use your assets to become a good hockey team? They traded away Brock Faber, a good prospect, to get Fiala. They traded away extra draft picks they had to go out and get a guy like Victor Arvidsson. They're using their draft mm-hmm. capital to clear space to bring other guys back. They're using prospect capital to make other moves. So it's true that it hasn't worked out in the idealistic way of having these players come in wave after wave and you're building it from the ground up within your system, but you're still using assets to become a better hockey team. And it shows that if you have a bunch of assets, a lot of good prospects and a lot of good draft picks, well, even if your players don't pan out, you have a bunch of guys you can move now. You know, like at least you have the capital where Helge Granz, even if you know you don't love him, he has enough value that people want him around the league, right? Brock Faber, a lot of value for him. Their draft picks, yeah, they can move some extra draft picks because they have all these prospects in the system now. And you had a guy this year who they took high and, and gave Velarde figuring it out. They have more guys coming through their system as well, right? So I actually like what they've been doing in, in, in terms of making their team better. But I do question, ultimately, if their development has been good enough, considering the degree of high picks they've had and how few of them so far have made an impact at the NHL level. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I guess we just for the first time this year we saw Byfield start to come out of it. Yeah, he had really good moments. I think he struggled in the playoffs, but he had really decent moments through the course of the year where you started to see the upside on the back end. You know, they still have even after trading Granz and even after trading Faber, they still have Clark coming. They still have Bjornfoot that they really yeah. like. They still have Jordan Spence that they really like. So yeah, you know, you're right. They they still do have a ton of assets here that they can work with. It's just Again, they're a great sign of how hard it is to take that next step, to be like a Vegas that's going to a conference final four out of the six years they've been in the league, Uh, to be a Tampa Bay Lightning that's been there knocking on the door for as many years as they have. Right now, L.A. is not even like they're not even on Toronto's level of getting, you know, and, and knocking on that door of being a top team that's just consistently underachieving by failing in the first round. They're not even there yet. Yeah, but they're I mean, they're also a younger team, I'd say. Yeah. overall than, than when we're LA. I mean, Toronto finds itself, and I think their cap situation is is miles better as well. I know they gave up some assets, but let's not forget, I mean, Toronto's traded away how many first-round picks to get rid of players like um, Patrick Marlowe and Peter Mrazek? Probably a couple yes. first-round picks they moved out. <laughs> I mean, they've, you know, they, they've done the same thing here. They've traded away first-round draft picks. So I think the cost of being a good hockey team is you having to be extra extra, let's say, ruthless in making a lot of decisions. And you're going to have to eat something somewhere because you can't let let, um, a, you can't let a, I don't want to use a a nasty term, but a dead part of your roster rot everything Mm -hmm. else. You can't. So it's better for you to cut it out and pay something for it for you to win because, hey, you're on that track of winning. Now, sometimes you're in a rebuild or you're going through a different phase and it's like, hey, why would you do this? Like, why would you give up these assets to get rid of this money? You're not going anywhere anyways. But I think it's a cost of doing business if you're a good hockey team, especially with the cap being flat the way it is. So I also think as much as we talked about Toronto the other day and said, hey, if, if the cap doesn't go flat and the and the pandemic doesn't happen, do they have to go out and make a lot of moves that they had to do and that it changed their plan? And I think you can say the same thing for a lot of teams that were contenders. They have to make these types of moves now because the cap isn't moving and they have good players they have to pay. And if there's two things to take away, because there's always the Canucks angle here on Canucks Central. Yes. Um, the two things to take away from a Canucks perspective is it's going to cost to move off of some money, whether that's, um, you know, in picks, assets, prospects for them, it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. That's what this deal proved today. 
it's also, they're not necessarily, and you pointed this out a little bit earlier in the segment, but just to emphasize it, if they were in a point, if they were at a crossroad where they were like, we have to open up this cap space in order to get ourselves over the hump. Like LA is doing to say, we have to do something to get ourselves over the first round hump to be able to compete a little bit more mm-hmm. with the Edmontons and Vegases of the world. Vancouver's perspective is not quite there yet. And if it was, maybe you do pull the trigger on an Oliver Ekman Larson buyout to open up that cap space and say, this is something that's going to get us over the top this year, because that's their get out of jail free card, at least for one year. Yeah. I maybe mean, even two a little bit, but it's just, it's not realistic as Patrick Alvin mentioned. No, it's just not. But I, I mean, that, that's why I've mentioned so far that I'd rather do an OEL buyout than pay mm-hmm. a premium to get rid of money off your books. You're yeah. going to pay somewhat. I mean, even LA, they're taking on dead money, 2 million of dead money for the next two years. You know? Yeah. It still makes sense. 2 million of so. dead money for four years after, you know, Ekman Larson's current contract comes out, if they were to buy him out this year. Exactly. So but it's not, a similar similar cap charge. But I think I'd ra- if you're looking at moving assets and move money out, I'd rather do that for a team that is so bereft of assets right now. Right. You know, and, and that's kind of what the way I look at it from Vancouver's perspective. But the thing I do like about this trade, which I do find interesting, is if you have the right team, is a signing bonus that big of a deal? Because Cal Peterson's owed a $4 million signing bonus, and they made that trade. Yeah. Tyler Myers is owed $5 million in a signing bonus. And those he's a teams that are, uh, those teams that are cash, uh, I guess, <laughs> they've got some liquid cash available. They don't mind taking on those contracts. You know, People keep saying, and uh, Frank Valley keeps alluding to this, I know we're late, we'll get out of here in, in, in a second, but Tyler Myers has value, has some value, and the bonus is a bit of an issue, but maybe not as big of an issue. I don't think he has huge value, but is Myers a bigger card, an easier card to play than perhaps we think? Is that something there? Because the bonus, we keep saying, oh, who's going to take, even a team like Arizona, why would you take on a $5 million bonus? I mean, Cal Peterson was just taken on. The more I see it, the more I look at it, the more I see the way teams are valuing size on the back end. A one-year deal for a 6-7 defenseman on the right side. There's going to be some teams that, especially some playoff teams, that look at that and say, we can do that for that player. Especially if the cost in trade isn't all that high. Yeah, and there's some level of retention. Some level of retention could help that too, at least from uh, the Canucks' perspective. Uh, we'll get into more of this with Irfan uh, Gaffar of the fourth period. He's in LA. He's following the Stanley Cup Finals. He'll be in Florida for games three and four. We'll get his take on that and more coming up next on Canucks Central. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio, Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Sam, quick to point out, due to our last discussion, Tyler Myers also has a gold medal. Facts only. Facts only from the World Championship. Uh, this question comes in. The Vegas Golden Knights have had 15 Canadian players on the ice playing during these playoffs. What are your thoughts on this going forward for the Canucks, Sat or Dan? Yeah, add more good Canadian players. I'm all for it. <laughs> Not against uh, it at all. Add good Canadian players, good Russian sure. players, good uh, American players, good yeah, European I, players. I will say, I mean, I do under, I mean, I'm not, a, 
I, we don't need to do the xenophobia thing, but like, I'm not, I'm not against. Like, I, I think I do understand people saying like, hey, we'd like to see more Canadian players on a Canadian team. Like, I, I think that makes sense. That's not there's nothing, nothing wrong with wanting more Canadian players. I, I just don't think you should bypass a better player just because he's Canadian. That's all. But yeah, I mean, if we could, if the, if the Canucks could have 21 players who are all Canadian and this was a Stanley Cup contender, great, fantastic. I hear that. And uh, we'll get to more of your texts, 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. But we now welcome in our next guest. Uh, rumor has it he was in the room brokering the deal between Live Golf and PGA Tour. It is uh, Irfan Gaffar of the fourth period. What's happening, Irf? Uh, if, I was, if I had the ability to be in that room, I would be a long, long way from where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few dollars were uh, were exchanged in that in that deal. We'll we'll get to it. I want to I want to hear your live uh, live golf and PGA take. But uh, you're covering the Stanley right. Cup Finals, and uh, you're in LA right now, on uh, soon to be en route to to Florida. What was uh, yeah. what was it like the the first two games there in Vegas? Uh, to be completely honest, uh, Vegas has since it's come into the league, they've they've embraced the entertainment value of of what Vegas is. I mean. You know, they got lucky in the expansion draft. They got a lot of good players and obviously make it to the cup final. But since then, the team's been pretty good. They have the best intro in the league. The fans are absolutely wild. Um, and the team's good. Uh, so it's been electric. I mean, the Florida Panthers, maybe the Cinderella story is kind of coming to an end. I think they've got one win in them, maybe two. But uh, it's it's been great. I mean, game one was a really, really good hockey game. Game two wasn't because the Florida Panthers just weren't good. But uh, all in all, it's been it's it's been really fun so far. Well, it has been a lot of fun just watching this series. I think the games have been really entertaining. Even even last night's game, even though it was a lopsided score, there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of intensity. But ultimately, from what you've seen, do you think the Panthers can get back into this series, or have the Vegas Golden Knights already solved Sergey Bobrovsky? Well, I mean, I don't know. You look at Game One. Right, so it was five-two final, four-two empty net. They hit three posts. Like they weren't bad in that game. They've outhit them. They've outshot them both games. Um, it's just the quality of scoring chances, and it's you know Matthew Kachuk not doing idiotic things. It, it you know he doesn't need to have thirty-six minutes in penalties in the first two games, albeit you know a couple obviously a couple uh, ten-minute misconducts, but still, you, you you can't be doing that. You can't fall into the trap of trying to go after Nick Hague. Like Matthew Kachuk is a really good hockey player. He's better than Nick Hague, and he's and he's getting trapped in trying to be that antagonizer. And Vegas isn't falling for it. I mean, I, I've said it before. Um, you can't play bully ball with the bullies, and Vegas will and Vegas will give it right back to you. Right? They're they're bigger on paper. They're probably the better team, but the way that Florida's played, they haven't done that at all in these first two games. So you expect them to come back at home and and hopefully. You know, it was a little bit of a fire underneath them, obviously, because you go down three nothing, it's basically over. Um, so you 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 got to win tomorrow's their most important, or sorry, on Thursday, that's their most important game, and and you have to think that, you know, they're they're going to come out flying. I, I I'm still with Paul Maurice here, and I don't know, just talking to a couple of people, I don't know what they're going to do about their goalie. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if if you go back to Bob or you or you go to Alex Lyon, it's one of those things. So that that's probably the most interesting thing that's going to come out of the next couple of days is who they decide to play in that. Yeah, I think uh, 
For me, it's got to be Bobrovsky. I mean, he's yeah. just been so good through the course of the playoffs. But I mean, if they go to uh, Alex Lyon already, doesn't that, doesn't it tell you they've they've already? I mean, how do you lose faith in Bobrovsky <laughs> that quickly? He's been great all playoffs. Has two like iffy games, one bad game. It's like okay, we're done. Let's go to this rookie. Yeah, I know. Well, I think I also think that's why Maurice pulled him. Yeah. Right. You give him basically more than half of that game to sit on the bench and or to to be out, and then you give him the next two days that mm-hmm. are that are off. So, you know, it, it gives him some time to think, some time to recuperate, some time to, 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 to do his thing. Um, but the interesting thing is that goalie room, right? And then you also have, you know, the, the Vancouver kind of angle to it in, in Roberto Luongo. Um, just kind of talking to Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just talking to Alex Lyon, right? Because the goalie coach in Charlotte is Luongo's brother, mm-hmm. Leo. So it's like a whole giant family thing they have going on there and then and sean burke obviously it, it works there as well but it's just it, it, there's so many things that that are going well for the for the florida panthers and it just you just oh, sorry sean burke works for the biggest uh, that you know you think there's gonna be one of those big big meetings and they can kind of figure it out here but yeah bavosky's gotta just get back to the way that he was playing before they got there uh- I really think like the, the beyond Bobrovsky, the biggest story is, is Matthew Kachuk. You alluded to it a little bit, but what is that? 36 penalty minutes in two games. I yeah. mean, Florida needs their best player to be more disciplined. Like I'm all for the hit on, on Jack Eichel. You know, that's, that's Matthew Kachuk's game. To me, it's a clean hit, but you know, it's the stuff after it's the two 10 minute misconducts because He's getting into it with everybody. He knows, like, he's got to know he's being goaded by Vegas, and he's got to stay away from that, or else Florida's got no chance without their guy. I agree, but I also don't agree on that misconduct. Like, what's he supposed to do in that situation? He hits him. It's a clean hit. Everyone jumps him after. Like, yeah. I, I don't think he should have got a 10 for that. Maybe a roughing penalty at most, but he didn't He didn't start that scrum. So I, I, don't, I didn't like that, that call. But I, I do agree with you. I mean, Matthew Kachuk, when he's playing at his best, is a really, really, really good hockey player. And right now, he's not showing any of that. Mm-hmm. He's slow. He's not making passes. He's looking to get into situations where to try and bait other guys into that. And the Vegas Golden Knights are way too smart for it, um, right? Their, their defensemen are, are, are skilled. They, 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 they know what they're doing. Um, and they're not going to fall into that trap. And, I mean, furthering Matthew Kachuk, like, where was Sam Reinhardt last game? Mm-hmm. Right? Where were yeah. guys like Sam Bennett? Where was, you know, all these other guys? Anthony Duclair's been missing. Um, I mean, Alexander Barkov. Like, what, what happened? He was the captain of that team. And I know he's not a big, high spoken guy, but sometimes you need to lead by example. And they need someone, if it's not Matthew, get a chalk to grab the game by the throat tomorrow and just take it to the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. I mean, the, the other question I have after the game was is Jack Eichel actually going to be okay? Like, it, do, like yeah. I mean, I mean, and I don't mean like he's not going to play, but like I was really surprised he came back after that hit because the way he fell into it as well, it, it looked like he was in a lot of distress. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so many different ways of looking at it, right? That like, had he not toe picked and fell, it could have been worse. Yeah, like like Kachuk could have hit him in the head. I then you you watch the one angle of the replay, it looked like as he was falling and got hit, his knee kind of buckled a bit. And then there's another angle of the head. You see him kind of just wincing and maybe like gasping for breath that it might have been just he got winded. But, I mean, he came back and he set up a goal right away. So you, you think that, you know, he, he was obviously fine and the doctors cleared him pretty quick to come back. Um, I don't know if the NHL concussion spotters or anything like that had anything to do with it, but he obviously wasn't out for that long. 
um, after the hit. He, he did come back in the game. But I think he's healthy. I think with the two days off, that definitely does help as well. Um, so I, I, I would assume that he plays. The other, the, the one that's interesting is is Radko Gudis, right? Mm-hmm. If yeah. if he can't come back for them, that that that's another key part for the Florida Panthers back end. Um, and they need Lusterinen in. I mean, Zach Dalfi's just not it either. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. Since Vegas is like heavy favorite now, two zero in the series. Um, oh yeah, who's who's their uh, who's the Con Smythe winner if Vegas? ends up closing this out. Like Eichel leads the team in points. Aiden Hill's been really good. March or so seems to score every game, but they don't have like one standout. It's hard to pick one of the group. I think I'm guessing it would be Eichel, but I, I, I don't know. Like I give it to March so or Carlson, like Carlson's putting up ridiculous numbers on that third line. Mm-hmm. Like he he's been playing really 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 well and March or so obviously goal scores get paid we 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 know that right guys got twelve goals this postseason they have two goal scores with more than ten goals in the postseason um, Eichel's the easy one because it's Eichel and he's been really really good but I think the thing about Eichel is what what's made him so good is defensively like he doesn't need to be yeah. you know a, a, a twenty goal guy in the playoffs he doesn't need to be one of those guys. He can, you know, focus in on his own end and make defensive plays that are really, really, really good. And that might sway the voters a little bit. But if you're asking me right now, it's probably Marcia so or Carlson. Mm-hmm. Um, if Aiden, if they sweep and Aiden Hill plays really, really, really well the next two games, I can see some voters going towards that because it's a good story. Uh, they, you know, they use five goalies this season. This guy comes in, he takes him to the Stanley Cup final. That angle of it's pretty cool, but just statistically and watching the games, it's Marcia or Carlson. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it is going to... a beast. Yeah, no, I, I, he is, he is, he's been absolutely fantastic. I still think it's going to be Jack Eichel though, but, um, yeah. you know, but you are in LA earth and a pretty big trade happened involving the LA Kings, yeah. uh, today to a three-way trade. Not only was there a big trade, it involved three teams, something we don't often see in the national hockey league. And we all know the parts at this point, Provorov to the Columbus blue jackets, the LA Kings move, Cal Peterson, Helge Grons, a second round pick, retain a little bit of salary and the, uh, flyers get a bunch of assets and they get rid of pro Rob. What do you make of the trade and, and what it means for the trade market? Well, I think it's great that it got started. I know some, some people are tweeting saying that, Oh, it's taking over from the Stanley cup mile. Who cares? <laughs> it's hockey. Like let things happen. Yeah. It's a day off. Like it, who cares about overshadows? You're talking about the game of hockey. And I think that that's one of the things where like that just bothered me when I saw that. But anyway, look, three teams involved. Well, that's one that's creative. Retaining salary, also creative. You know, g- getting guys with big contracts to be on the move, another, another creative thing by, by three GMs that, that went about their business, right? You know, you have um, um, the Columbus Blue Jackets and, and Kekalainen getting a guy like Provorov. That was huge for them after losing Gavrikov, right? And then you get the, um, the LA Kings, you know, getting rid of a goalie that they overpaid for and he hadn't proven himself and they got rid of that salary, they got some money off the books. Yeah, they're going to have to retain a little bit, but now they have the money to go and re-sign their defenseman, which is probably going to be coming in the next few days here, um, Gavrikov, uh, for his extension. So all in all, you make, it's a pretty, it's a good trade. It's, it's interesting to talk about, and it's one of those things where you're going to see more and more now is they're going to be third, third, third-party teams uh, retaining salary here at, as we approach the draft. You know, I think uh, this market looks at how Daniel Briere pulled off this deal and yeah. collected a bunch of future assets and in saying, 
you know, Jimmy in Maple Ridge is in his car and he's being like, why didn't the Canucks do that five years ago? Or one of those ty- types of comments, right? Like that, that's the kind of creativity that uh, this market lacked when it was going through its really, really tough period. And they still haven't come out of that tough period. No, of course. I mean, and until the fans see something from their front office in, in Vancouver, it's going to continue to be that same old story, right? Are they yeah. able to make moves? Why can't we? Why can't we clear cap space? Why aren't we making these creative moves? Why don't we offer draft picks for someone to take some salary off our books? Like, there's all these questions that you know, and I assume that they're going through as well in their their meetings and things like that of a way to improve the hockey team. But you know, I'm I'm on the fan side. I, I, until you see it, they have every right to feel that the way uh, the way they do. No, I, I understand that. Right now. Uh... As far as what else we're going to see here uh, in terms of trades, what are some teams you're hearing that are really active right now? Because we've heard the trade talk has picked up. We know Vancouver is involved in a number of different things, but are you kind of circling a couple of teams here to see if uh, something's going to happen? Yeah, I think that, I mean, uh, well, Carter Hart obviously is now fully on the trade block. I think that change of scenery is three years too late, to be completely honest, for him there. Um, but that's one that I'm interested in to see where it goes. Apparently there was conversations or, or there was talk that the Leafs might've been, might've, might've been a little bit interested or, or Bradtree living is going to start to quietly make some phone calls here and kind of see the way things might, might look for them. But other than that right now, I, I think teams are kind of waiting until next week or maybe a week before the draft right now, they're all at the combine they're doing things. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, general managers are, are talking and, and, and things of that nature. But um, I, I think you'll start to see things pick up like right around right when the cup final ends and just leading up to the draft. I think this one could be interesting, right? Because this draft is deep. And there are players that are available in the top 10 that, you know, teams in the top or uh, in the later half of the first round could definitely want. So um, you hope to see something good happen and, 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 and something wild. But I just, I just never put my hope on crazy NHL GMs to go and to go and do something where we're all like, Oh my God, that actually happened. It's uh it, it's rare. Like today was uh today was yeah. a big one. And it was, dope. Uh, that was great. And it, it did come out of left field. You were, I wasn't expecting it during the Stanley cup final, but I, I guess, you know, the hope is, or the wonder is, does this trade sort of set the table for more deals like this? You know, considering, well, Gary Bettman says the the cap's only going up a million bucks. We'll see if yeah. they finagle some things to make it a little bit more. But um, it, it does feel like this is the way that deals are going to have to get done if any blockbuster deals are made this offseason. Yeah, especially with players on expiring contracts or, or sorry, players that have term on their contracts and 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 things like that. It's, it's time to get creative for some of the NHL teams like, it's really hard to make those one-for-one quote-unquote hockey trades anymore or, or, or see, you know, a draft pick for, for a really good player. It's just because of the salary, the way that teams capped out, the way that, you know, the, the salary cap is, is going to ruin some teams. I mean, it's no secret that Vancouver Canucks are in cap hell, yeah. right? And they're going to have to try and do something so they can, you know, have a roster on, the, on opening night and, and not be over the cap, right? And we're, we're saying that. And we're not even to training camp next season. This season hasn't even ended yet. So it's definitely one of those things that you hope for as a fan of creativity. But, um, again, it's 
it's uh, until it happens. If you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, you you have every right to sit there and, and and kind of be worried about it. Yeah, and you know, as far as trying to move certain guys out, I mean, we've heard the Garland stuff. We'll see where that goes all, all ultimately. But like, is there any market that can develop? around Tyler Myers at all, given that you look at the Cal Peterson deal, and yeah, I mean, LA had to give something up, but Cal Peterson's an AHL goalie, whereas Myers can play games, and he still paid a $4 million bonus, right? So, you know, like, if we're talking about him, is there anything that could be done here, perhaps, with him this offseason? You hope so. I mean, I, I you definitely know that they're trying. Um, and it's same with Garland. I think those are the two names that you're going to keep hearing more and more about is as we head into the draft. Um, for Tyler Myers, it's it's no secret that it's it's been a couple of years that since his name's obviously been been thrown into the mix there. But I'm just not sure that he like I, I agree with you, Sad. He can play. I just what team really needs a guy like that on their back end? Like I mean, you know, teams can always use defense and and, and and things like that. I'm just I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure where. Yeah, I I think Vegas and you know the whole uh, you need a big mobile defense thing might might, might uh, entice some people to to maybe look at Tyler Myers if it's uh, rather cheap in cost, and uh, yeah. that's that's one it's just one avenue the Canucks might have this well, offseason. We all know they're all muddy avenues though. The only time you can get an asset for Myers is if you retain salary at the deadline. Right, that's the only yeah. time Vancouver can hold on to Myers and actually get something for him. Right, he'll be mm. worth something. When the cap hits smaller, you retain a little bit at the deadline, big right defenseman, maybe even a second or something along those lines. At least a third, like Luke Shen got, something like that, right? So that's when you get something for Myers. You're not getting anything for him if you're moving him in the offseason. And the question is, can you do no. so without paying too much or nothing? And that's the big question. Yeah. Uh, well, before think, we let you I go, think, Arf, yeah. But, yeah. Um Live Golf, PGA Tour, yeah. a match made in heaven. I'm, who knew the marriage of 2023 would be the PGA Tour and Live Golf? Who knew money was the root of all problems? I mean, <laughs> like, I, I think that... And well, all I, solutions. And 100%. <laughs> I think that, well, I mean, the PGA commission is, is, that guy should be gone in a yeah. second. I, I think and the, the, the board meeting, they didn't even tell any of the players, like, all that kind of stuff is terrible. But at the end of it, I mean, look, it's a way for these guys to a, make money and some of these players are going to make more money. Some of these tournaments might have bigger prize money to be a little bit more enticing. Um, the style of events could, could, could change uh, drastically, which would be super, which could be cool for golf. Um, I just think the, the, the craziest thing about it is like, you look at the Saudis and everything that they're doing. And, you know, obviously the messy, the $400 million offer Benzema's getting a bajillion dollars. Ronaldo's making what he's making. Like, if those guys, those people out there want to want to really, really tap into different sports and the different sports, well, they can completely take over if they really want to. And you're going you're gonna to see it here with the PGA a little bit. And I know people are going to have their feelings left, right, and center about it. But um, it's no secret that the only reason why this came to was, was, was because of money. And if other sports and other owners and, and other things are going to look at that, you know, what's to say that, you know, um, the prince of somewhere in Saudi doesn't come and want to buy an NHL team or something like that, something crazy like that. So, I mean, money definitely talks. I tweeted the video of the A-Rab money with a Buster Rhymes song. <laughs> so it's definitely, it's definitely very apparent, and which is scary because it's becoming more and more apparent in sports now. You know, it is. I will say golf Twitter's got jokes. I was impressed with golf Twitter today. Oh, yeah. Golf Twitter was great today. <laughs> I didn't think golf Twitter had it in them. 
<laughs> the memes were incredible. I, I've never watched so many Happy Gilmore clips in my life. Well, that and the succession fo- oh, photo yeah. at the end, that was great, too. Pretty yeah. good. Well, I mean, you know what? Honestly, like, it, it just shows you more and more that it always comes down to money. Right, like all, all the stuff about morality was an absolute farce, and any, yeah, anyone from the joke. PGA who used it about you know whether it's the Saudi stuff and and try to talk about the nine eleven families and everything and and all that stuff, it's it's all disingenuous and it's all BS, and, and people will say yep. anything until they get what they want, which is money. So like, I, I, anytime I, I hear these these. Uh, these politicians or, or these executives talk about morality is just a farce. It's just it's just leverage for them to use in their favor. That's all it is. I agree wholeheartedly, one hundred percent. How are you guys doing? Uh, you guys, well, when, are they, when are they going to? Gonna, when are they going to pay two hundred and fifty million dollars for this podcast episode? I don't know. Uh, I I think it's worth that much. Uh, maybe maybe somebody. Let's go. In the public investment fund uh, can can figure it out. Uh, all right. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Our guest, uh, Irfan Gaffar, joins us every Tuesday. Thanks for this, Irf. Enjoy uh, or safe travels to Florida. All right, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, there is Irfan Gaffar. Uh, we, we've got, well, I, I definitely want to get into the live stuff a little bit more. But uh, it was a wild day. It was. It's an absolute joke. It's so funny. It's an absolute joke. Like uh, I, I honestly never had a huge issue with the live tour. I'm like, oh, it makes sense. They're competing. They're just competing. That's that's just the nature of the business. But yeah. the way the PGA made it made such a moral stance about it and created this whole good versus bad narrative and and was so appalled that people taking that money and, and and clutching at their pearls for for people people daring to follow the cash and then they do this today it's just a joke an absolute joke and, and again anytime you hear people talk about morals in these situations they're full of crap absolute crap it's just about money dan it's always about money and anyone who says anything otherwise is completely lying and the pga players who didn't secure the bag you either didn't get your price or you were a mark honestly because yep. you didn't know the pga was in it for themselves to begin with guys like tiger like tiger woods doesn't need another 800 million dollars or whatever saudi offered him so i like you know i kind of get it but at the same time you know you you took the moral high ground for what? you essentially said that's something nothing that's something i'd never do only for the pga tour guy the commish over there to sell you out anyways it's great now you're stuck with it it's unbelievable <laughs> Uh, all right, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Uh, coming up, hour number two, we'll get more into the trade with Charlie O'Connor covering the Philadelphia Flyers and where they go from here after this big deal. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. I want to thank Irfan Gaffar for joining us in the last segment. Covering the Stanley Cup Finals. Even our guy uh, Ian McIntyre got the assignment to cover the Vegas, Florida Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, I need the best to cover the best. <laughs> iMac traveling through. How much? Uh, how much golf do you think those guys are getting in? I'm acting those guys. Yeah, um, a little. Well, bit. maybe they're actually a little working. bit. Like I don't. You know what? Like it's, it's so hot in Vegas as well, <laughs> right? That's true. So it's like 
It's not that, that simple just to go out there and, and play 18 anytime you want. Um, it's uh, it's tough, tough, tough job covering the Stanley Cup Finals between uh, Vegas and Florida. Uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah, we welcome in our next guest, uh, lead Flyers writer at the Athletic. It is Charlie O'Connor. Uh, Charlie, thanks for doing this. Big day for the Flyers. Yeah, yeah. Can't say uh, expect a trade to start happening while the final was still going on, but what do you know? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a shockingly interesting day in sports for a lot of reasons, uh, but this trade for hockey Twitter, it comes down out of the blue. We don't expect trades to happen during the Stanley Cup Finals, and I would imagine, like, if I'm thinking about this from a, a, a Flyers perspective, may, may, now I'm not, you know, in the Flyers market, but I do think there are some parallels between Vancouver and Philadelphia and how their fan bases have maybe been uh, yearning for creative rebuild type moves. And finally, the Flyers fan base got one today from new GM Daniel Briere. Yeah, I think that's really the, the key takeaway here is that if there's one thing that the Flyers seem to lack under uh, previous GM Chuck Fletcher was that there, there just didn't seem to be a lot of creativity in terms of the types of moves that were made. Um, and on the rare occasions when there would be a creative move, like the uh, the trade for Ryan Ellis, it would blow up in his face, really, for no fault of his own. But point being is that if you're going to execute on a rebuild, you need to be able to, to, to make moves like this, where you've got a guy like Ivan Provorov who everybody knows he's talented. Everybody knows he's had good years in the past. But for the past three seasons, he's honestly been a pretty mediocre defenseman. He's, he's fallen hard from his peak season, which, which I believe was the 2019-2020 season. So this wasn't a guy who necessarily was going to have a, an enormous market, who was going to bring back you know a ton in terms of, of trade value, but Briere found a way by bringing a third team in in the LA Kings and taking on a couple contracts where he was able to basically get, you know, on the whole, if you're looking at the deal as a whole, he got a first round pick, two seconds, and a decent prospect from from the Kings in Helge Grands. Now, granted, some of that was because he had taken on the two bad contracts, but if it meant getting the maximum return for Provorov, which he basically got you know, in isolation, a first and a second for Ivan Provorov, you know, to get that for a guy who's had three straight down years and almost certainly was not going to re-sign with the Flyers for multiple reasons in the summer of 2025, it's hard to quibble with it. No, it really is, especially when, you know, I, I follow a, a few Flyers fans and, and media as well, and I've seen kind of the angst uh, amongst a lot of people there about them not choosing a direction and not doing anything. And I think no matter how you slice it, the Flyers are clear winners because they chose a direction, they got a bunch of assets, and really the question is how far and deep can this go the rest of this offseason? Yeah, we, we talked to Briere at, uh, I guess, about three hours ago now. It's kind of been a blur this uh, this afternoon here in Philly. But um, he was essentially asked, you know, are you going to continue to be selling? And he said straight up, we're open for business. So I, I definitely think this is just the first of many dominoes. The, the, the big name that was thrown around today in rumors was Carter Hart, which makes sense given the fact that one of the contracts they took back was Cal Peterson. Um, that said, I poked around on this, talked to you know some people around the uh, around the league, and you know while I do think they're open to potentially moving Hart, it never struck me as 
an imminent trade, that they were going to be trading Hart today in addition to, to trading Provorov. I think they're very much listening on Hart. I think they know that you know him and Travis Konechny are probably their two remaining high end so they could potentially get a lot back for that probably don't fit necessarily the, the the rebuild timeline. And I get the sense that they're more open to trading Hart than they are Konechny, who I think Briere really likes. I know John Tortorella really likes. It just seems like that's a guy that you're really going to have to you know, bang the door down and give it a, a ridiculous offer to get. But it, it seems like Hart is at least out there. He would obviously bring back a big return. Now, what that return is, you know, 24-year-old goalies that are legitimately above average don't usually get traded. So there isn't a lot of precedent there. But, you know, my guess is there's going to be a lot of teams that will be interested in him, and the Flyers will see if an offer is made that's high enough that, that makes them pull the trigger. And then you've got other pieces they can look to move. You know, Kevin Hayes, I think they're going to try to move. He hasn't really clicked with Tortorella. You know, you've got some depth pieces like, say, a Nick Sealer who, you know, is on a really key contract, had a good year last year. So, so yeah, I think there are, uh, there are a ton of pieces that the Flyers are going to be looking to move, and I certainly don't think they're done. Well, and I think the other thing the uh, the – the move today sort of signifies is that ownership isn't necessarily shy to take on money just to uh, be able to take or procure some extra future assets, because that's what a lot of today's deal was about was just, you know, taking on some cash and being able to buy yourself an extra second round pick or whatever that might be. Absolutely. And I mean, granted, a lot of that has to do just with cap space too. the flyers have a little bit because they're not planning to go out and buy. So might as well, you know, tax some on the books if it means getting out from under the prover up deal and getting real value for them. So that's part of it. But I absolutely believe that that flyers ownership is on board with this rebuild. And, you know, I, I said in the article that I just got finished writing that, you know, everybody within flyers world could say we're rebuilding. They could, they could say the word. And I'm not saying that wasn't important for a long time. They weren't even willing to say the word. So that was a step. But when it would have really came down to was you had to put your money where your mouth was. And this was the flyers finally fully admitting with their actions that we are rebuilding, that we are tearing this down. We are trading away our number one defense because you say what you will about Ivan Proveroff's play over the last three years. And I've certainly been critical of it, but he took a lot of minutes. I mean, he took the toughest minutes on this team. He was getting 24, 25 minutes a night playing, you know, on a blocking a lot of shots, doing all the things that, you know, you maybe don't necessarily want young defensemen to be doing. And I think there was always a fear in the organization of, well, what happens if we trade Provorov? What does that mean for everybody else? And finally, Danny Briere basically in short, kind of said, who cares? We'll figure it out. We need the assets. And it's better to, to get these assets now, these quality assets, get another pick and a really good draft rather than just wait it out, which I think it, for too many players was kind of what the Fletcher front office did was they just sort of waited and hoped that the problem would solve itself. And it never did. Finally, the Flyers acted and they got a pretty good package back for Ivan Provorov. I, I guess the wonder is sometimes, you know, when it, when a team goes into this and just how much patience will there be? And it's, it's impossible to know today um, because these things take a couple of years time. But I think of, I guess, you know, New York's had some, some decent, you know, playoff runs here in the last couple of years, but 
And there wasn't a ton of time between the letter that they sent out and them all of a sudden, you know, buying Artemi Panarin in free agency and, and really starting to push chips into the middle of the table, firing Jeff Gorton because things were moving along too slowly. I, I guess the, the question I have, Charlie, is just how patient or how much patience is needed to go through a process like this. It's a fascinating question on two levels. I guess the answer to the first question, how patient will they be? You're right. We, we don't know. Now, that said, you know, Philadelphia is not known to be a patient market and yeah. Comcast yeah. is not known to be a patient company. I mean, Ed Snyder, you know, was, is not never owned Comcast, but he owned the team. He was not a patient man. And there's definitely a feeling that, you know, the people running the team want to be the stewards of Ed Snyder's legacy. So it's unclear how patient they'd be. That said, they are all saying the right things. John Tortorella, who, you know, certainly does not have the reputation of being a patient man, keeps saying, we got to do this the right way. We can't take shortcuts. So, you know, if you've got John Tortorella on board with a patient mindset, you're probably on the path to actually trying to be patient. Now, see what happens on that front in, you know, one, two, three years. If they stay patient for now, they're saying the right things. Now, on the other side, though, my, I, I guess kind of where I'm at with how long does it have to take, it really just depends on how good of a rebuild it is. You know, a rebuild doesn't have to take six, seven, eight years. It really doesn't even have to take four or five if it's done right. The thing is, it has to be done right. And we don't know at this point whether the Flyers are going to do a good job rebuilding. At least they're doing a rebuild. That's a start. But you've got to draft well. You've got to trade well. You've got to avoid, you know, you've got, you got to sign the right guys with the right long-term deals. You've know, you got to sign the, the Jacob Slavens and the Brett Pesci's to long-term deals so they're, they're cheap when the team's real good. Like, it can be done, and it can be done efficiently and effectively, but you've just got to have smart people running the show. And the Flyers obviously think they do. This was a good first start for Danny Breer, but you know the proof is going to be in the pudding in terms of, of what moves he makes in the future as mm-hmm. to whether this can be a two, three-year rebuild rather than them being lost in the wilderness for a decade like the Buffalo Sabres have been. And I guess you know how long a path they're going to take depends on their view of the roster and, and how many players they have they can truly build around. Because there was a sense for a while, right, that they wouldn't move a guy like uh, Joel Farabee at all. Like he was off off the trade market. Same with Travis Sanheim. New ma- management and new leadership now. Is that the, the same sense, or are they essentially listening on every single player on the team? So I think they're listening on every player. That said, I mean, you mentioned Joel Farabee and, and Travis Sanheim. Like, would they listen on those guys? Sure. But Travis Sanheim's coming off a, an awful season, and Joel Farabee's coming off a year where, you know, he had neck surgery last summer, and it kind of spoiled his entire year. So, you know, yeah, you listen, but you're probably selling low on those guys. So, like, you're not not trading them because you're scared, you know, you're scared to trade them because they're too young or whatever. You're, you're not trading them because if you're going to trade them, you want to trade them when their value's higher, not when you're selling at a low. So do I think that they're listening on everybody? Yeah. Do I think that like, they're not necessarily going to be super excited about trading Owen Tippett or, or Noah Cates, you know, or Joel Farabee? No, because they're young enough where if you pull this rebuild off in two, three years and you've turned the corner, they can very easily be part of the next really good Flyers team. That said, you know, if, if you call up and you're going to offer, you know, three drum picks for Joel Farabee and you believe in him and you're not buying low, then yeah, I think they do it. I don't think there's anybody that's necessarily 
off the table. And the fact that Carter Hart's in conversations kind of proves that. But I also think there's an element here where, you know, just because they're they're rebuilding, and this is something Briere said in his early press conference, you know, just because we're rebuilding, it doesn't mean we're having a fire sale. We're not just going to trade everybody to trade everybody just to bottom out, try to take a shot at, you know, Celebrini or whatever, like they're going to trade guys if they can get value back, but they're not going to sell low on guys just to just. I think we may have lost Charlie there. Just as things were uh, getting good on the Philadelphia Flyers no, rebuild. It was a, it was a great, it was a great, it's been a great breakdown from him. And that was, that was my question. And I brought Joel Farabee's name up in the past as well, going like, you know, if you're talking team like the Flyers, like are they willing to move a player like him actually? Because one mm-hmm. of the things that we haven't spoken about enough, and this is, isn't just about Vancouver, I think it's about generally around the league. Where are some players you can find that are potential stars down the road that you take a flyer on now? You know, and not to make a pun here on, on the Flyers, but that's something that interests me. Like, you know, how we talk about, hey, this team swooped in and got a player and then five years later turned out to be a superstar. You kind of have to go after a guy who's somewhat distressed, right? Yeah, Vegas uh, built uh, quite the Stanley Cup contender on a lot of players like that. Uh, a couple more for for Charlie O'Connor as we have him back here. Um, yeah, one thing I, you know, I'm curious about Charlie. It's uh, two really difficult situations, you know, with the contracts of Sean Couturier and and Ryan Ellis. I mean, you know, both injured and unlikely to play on these deals. Um, how do you navigate that? Uh, is there something to navigate there? Uh, right now for Daniel Briere, or is it just uh, part of what the Flyers have to deal with right now in their cap situation? And it's not that big of an issue considering they don't plan on contending in the near future. Yeah, I think the two the two situations are a little bit distinct. And I'm sorry if it, I apparently lost you guys on that last question. So not not quite sure where I cut off, but uh, but apologies there. Um, Ellis is done. You know he's mm-hmm. never going to play yeah. again. I think everyone is is pretty aware of that fact. The guy can't even really skate. It's actually really really sad. I mean, I don't think anybody expected this injury to be as serious as it ultimately ended up being. But he's never going to play again. So you know, they can sort of plan to park him on long term injured reserve pretty much for the remainder of his contract if they wanted to move him. You know to try to do some type of Arizona type deal where you know, they can move out that deal so someone else has to have it on their books because they want to hit the cap floor, that's an option. And I don't think they would necessarily rule it out if it would make sense for the Flyers. But I don't think they have to worry too much about Ellis. Couturier is more complicated. Like, it looks like he's going to play. He was basically cleared at the end of last season to come back, and they more or less kept him off the ice at the end of the season, more or less out of an abundance of caution. Right now, it looks like all systems would go for him to be back next year. Now, obviously, he's on a massive contract. It's got six more years left on a deal that's almost $8 million on the cap. If if he comes back and is a shell of himself, you know, let's say he can play, but he's more like latter-day Franz Nielsen rather than like JV Patrice Bergeron like he was, <laughs> then you're in trouble because then you're paying a guy $8 million and he's providing $3 million a year worth of value. Now, if he comes back and is still strong Couturier, which can't rule out completely yet, he's going to be 31 years old, but he was still a really good player before he had the two back surgeries, then maybe either he can be that piece that plays into his, his late 30s or you sit him down and you have a conversation with him. He's got a no movement clause and you say, hey, Sean, it looks like you're still a legitimately really good NHL player, 
do you potentially want to go chase down a cup because it's not going to happen here? And then with the player on that. So the Couturier thing, a lot of it just kind of comes down to what he is when he comes back. You know, the worst case scenario for the Flyers actually isn't that he can't play anymore. The worst case scenario is that he can play. He's just not very good. So I don't think they really know what they're going to do with Couturier until you have a read on what version of Couturier they're going to be getting. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a concern because this guy just had two back surgeries and now he's in his early thirties with a massive contract left to go. So we'll see, but it's, it's absolutely a concern and it could really hamstring them depending on how it plays out. Before we let you go, Charlie uh, draft is coming up uh, just later on this month. Flyers sitting at seventh overall. You know, we've heard uh, some rumors that maybe they're targeting one of the top defensemen in that spot. What do, what do you think uh, Daniel Briere is looking for at seventh overall? It's a fascinating question, and I mean, I think there's a few different routes they could take. I do wonder if getting this second first-round pick today, if it almost might give them a little bit more freedom to take a real big swing. Like, I haven't necessarily heard if they'd be one of the teams to, you know, take the risk on on Mitchkoff at number seven, but if he's available, it's a conversation they'd have to have. And if you know you have a pick later in the first round, maybe you're a little bit more willing to take that swing because he would fit the timeline of a rebuilding team that isn't really trying to compete the next couple of years. But if they don't go that route, I mean, I think they would be interested in Reinbacher. I'm skeptical he'll actually make it to seven. So I don't know if they're even going to have to, like, I don't even know if they're even going to have to consider that because I think he might be gone. I could see a guy like Ryan Leonard, who I think is is very much a Flyers type player. He strikes me as a Tortorella type player, and sort of that what, what they're trying to go for with this, you know, trying to mix the old school Flyers way with a new school skill type of way. I think he would fit. And there are some other guys that 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 are there if they want to go and beef up down the middle. You know, maybe um, Dvorsky, maybe Nate Danielson. So there are some guys out there, but. Um, I haven't heard that they're necessarily zeroed in on one particular guy yet. And I do wonder what the addition of another first round pick does to their planning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're going to get a good player or at least a good prospect at number seven and they need, they need to, to take big swings on potential high end talent. Charlie, really appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Yeah, you got it. Thanks everybody. Uh, there is Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer at The Athletic, with some thoughts on uh, the Flyers, their direction, and what they might do in the draft. Adding a second round, a second first round pick uh, could make them uh, look at Matvey Mitchkoff a little bit more if he falls to number seven in the draft. Set. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that. I'll have a thought on that in a second. And the thing that really stood out to me, too, is they have no untouchables. None. Yeah. There isn't a single player on this roster they won't listen to, right? So I think that creates a real fascinating offseason in Philly. Not to say they're going to trade everybody or that even a guy like Farabee gets moved, but he's a guy I wonder about, man. Like, I just wonder if some team swoops in and gets Farabee somehow, 75 cents on the dollar, and we look back at this in a few years and say, man, they swooped in and got a star player. That's who I wonder about. But on Mitchkov, it makes sense, but I just wonder which teams are terrified of taking him. Yeah. You know, like... The second, I, I, I don't think you're, and I understand what Charlie's saying, and I don't disagree that teams look at it that way. I wouldn't view it that way. I wouldn't view it as I'm not taking, I'm taking Mitchkov because I have a second first round pick. That's a number 22 in this year's draft. I take the player if I feel the player is 
right to be taken or not. Like, I think that has to be your assessment on Mitch Cobb. It can't be, we have extra picks, let's take the chance. Your assessment has to be, like, he's the right player and we have to make this move. If you're not scared of taking Mitch Cobb, then you take him at fourth overall, basically. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> right? I think that's the way. I mean, the Flyers, especially if they're taking a rebuild approach, like, you don't need this guy anyways for two or three years. You keep the building going, and then three years from now, you drop in a superstar to what yeah. you have started to uh, to pile up. The only thing we don't know about Mitchkov is like all the stuff that's been going on. You know, obviously the 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 real terrifying situation that's been going on in Russia with the yeah. Ukraine and everything like that's made everything a lot you know more difficult. We know that his father passed, and, and I'm not gonna get into rumors and everything like that. But we just don't know what's going on. Like we don't know the extent of his contract situation. It's hard to get information from that area. We simply don't know enough. If your information is this is a player who we can get over here in a few years and a situation is manageable. I don't see a reason why you don't take him outside the top. Like I can get like top five and say, Hey, we have a top five pick. And you know, there is a will, uh, you know, for instance, let's say Will Smith, you love him and you put him into top four and you like somebody else at five. I can see that. But once you get outside the top five, if you think this player can get cleared and come here in a couple of years, I don't see any reason why you would pass on that type of potential. Philly also has a couple of other really interesting players. You mentioned Joel Farabee. Uh, I do wonder what happens with Travis Konechny. You know, he's, he's a good hockey player. Uh, just two years left on his deal. And I would imagine there could be some contenders that really yeah. would like to look at Konechny as a fit for a, for a cup run over the next couple of years. The only thing that's creating an issue, I think, it's it's the issue that he's a winger, right? And we know the winger market's yep. been, been depressed. We know Debrinkit's now potentially on the market as well. So I think it's one of those things that this offseason, given the glut of wingers available on the trade market, is this the time for you to cash in on your best forward? Yeah. I think Konechny has a good season next year, plays well, for instance, kind of builds on what he did in the second half of the season. He becomes one of the best probably trade targets around, right? Two years, one year and one, you know, a year and a half left on his deal. Five million is not that bad. Maybe Philly's, you know, willing to retain even a little bit. You can really juice that value up on Konechny, I think, at the deadline. Do you get yeah. the same value now or do you get more for Konechny if you hold on to him at the deadline? Teams get a little bit more, I wouldn't say desperate, but more comfortable spending that on a yeah. player when it's in season. It's like this guy can really help us get over the top Yeah, more, more so than right now in the off season. Yeah. In the off season, you maybe choose some cheaper plans. Everybody's optimistic in the off season. You're projecting, everybody hopes that they have players internally that take steps. They have prospects they like. And of course you like them and believe in them because that's why you took them. That's why you developed them. So every team is hopeful every single season that one or two players emerge and they want to leave that possibility. You know, so, so I just wonder about Konechny, about that being the best play with him. And Sanheim, his contract's just so massive. Yeah. You know, it's the only question. And he was so poor this year. He was. But, I mean, it gives you a chance, though. Like, if somebody's willing to take him off your hands, are you willing to just punt and say, hey, we're taking a long-term approach here anyways? This is a chance for us to get rid of a, a you know, $60 million contract almost. It's a couple of different ways that the Flyers can go with some of their pieces they have to sell off now that the rebuild has begun in Philly. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central.